this was really a no-brainer. Lots of people love the golf equipment. You can point to some bright spots there, but we kind of look at what Callaway's doing almost outside of golf equipment proper. And the big one for us was the full acquisition of Top Golf, which is just absolutely a monster. If you look at what that's meant for Callaway's bottom line, I mean, they are selling the hell out of Bud Light fajitas. <laughs> yeah. How you living? We are no putts given. Tony and Chris, we're back at it this week, and we're going to dive into equipment stuff. Last week, editor's choice, we put out our thinking around kind of the best of, if you will, for the year. And I want to kind of go through those with you, Tony, because there are a lot of nuggets in here. There's like probably 45 to 55 days of topics, I think, in editor's choice. But first of all, what is editor's choice and how is it different from everything else that we do in some ways? Because I think that confused some people, at least initially. Definitely confuses people. It takes much these days, but yeah. I guess kind of the point of comparison is probably editor's choice versus most wanted. And yeah. most wanted is always entirely about the data. We bring in a bunch of golfers and we have them hit a metric shit ton of shots. And when we're all done, we feed it into the machine and it spits out a winner. Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's not, there's not really a lot of room for our interpretation or kind of what we think is kind of what we feel, I guess, is the better way to... If you get no feelings, about my feelings right? It's not about data. my feelings. It's not about my opinion. It's nothing like that. Whereas with, with Editor's Choice, we get to, to a degree, it starts with Most Wanted, and that's always something we, we look to to guide us as, as to what performs well with each category. But then we do get to, it's, it's almost a privilege based on how we do a lot of other stuff to let our opinions creep in, what we think, what we think is cool, different, potentially innovative, what, what could yeah. sort of be the, the next groundbreaking thing that, that sets the trend for the industry. And then we also get to listen to our readers and golfers and, and even look at mm -hmm. kind of trends on tour and, and what's moving the, the needle there in ways that, that are potentially not glaringly obvious. You mean, so we get so, a habit yeah, it's opinion? just a little, yeah, a little bit different way of approaching equipment, but you know, it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's a nice departure from, from just being entirely data-driven and it's nice to say, Hey guys, this is, this is what we think is cool. And in most cases we focus on new equipment for the season and we can talk right. in just a second what we mean by season, but it is also interesting, especially in, you know, kind of this year's, this year's winners to see a couple of things that that one almost for persistence, like it's just not even right. like they're, they're not new. It's not new equipment, but, it but you could argue that away. the moment, even it's not even not go away. The momentum is actually continuing to grow. It's still kind of ramping. Up, I have a couple is, of those starred, yeah. uh, on my list and we have categories like, you know, and, and we should be able to put a link down below to the story itself. So if you want to go see <laughs> it and you know, we have what, 10, 12, 15 categories of stuff and we're going to try to spend a minute or two. I know that's probably a bit of a big ask for you and I to spend only a minute or two on each one, but today. move quick today. Here Speed we go. Round. On a hop. Um, but some of them I've kind of lumped together as well. But man, we start with the whiz banger right out of the gates. Well, hold on, hold on. Before we get to the whiz banger, let's okay. also touch on one other thing that kind of came up in the comments. Let's do which that. But how, how can this be the editor's choice for the year when it's only July? This is BS, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Angry pitchfork nation nonsense. Right. Uh, this is one thing we've kind of looked at too, where we've, 
we've kind of shifted the timing of, of things like editor's choice to better reflect the the seasonality of golf equipment, not necessarily the true golf season. And so we kind of loosely looked at things from basically August 1st to the end of July, or here we are almost end of July. And mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to see anything in the next couple of weeks that would have been like, oh, damn it, we missed that for editor's okay. choice. So or we won't it really know, is kind of, but we could include it on right. the next one. I think, you know, Right. Yeah. It's, it's just simply about better aligning with the golf season. And so we're not, you know, as we'll, we'll mention one of our winners here by name, but so that we're not talking about, Hey, stealth is the editor's choice for driver of the year, literally a week or two before Taylor Bate launches, whatever comes next. Right. <laughs> so it is kind of a, a mid golf season, but you got to draw the line somewhere. Cyclical golf season award, which I know is confusing, but as Chris said, we got to draw a line somewhere. Yep. This is what makes sense for an, a website that focuses yep. on so golf, here's equipment our line. golf equipment releases. Yep. Our lines basically follow the release calendar. Yep. And a lot of people don't know this too, but a lot of the uh, golf industry people, if you will, July is kind of the time they actually get to take a vacation at, at times. And so it in some ways is kind of, I don't want to say the end of the release season, but it really is kind of that line of demarcation from one year almost. We are transitioning. It's, it's a time of transition. So. Tony, whiz banger, right out of the gate, first slide, company of the year, you're wearing the hat, Callaway Golf. Yeah, why? Why, was, uh, why? Why Callaway? Yeah, this was kind of funny. Like, we're, this one, this one wasn't obvious until it, it became glaringly obvious that this was, this was really a no-brainer. Lots of people love the golf equipment. You can point to some bright spots there, <laughs> but we kind of look at what Callaway is doing almost outside of golf equipment proper. And the big one for us was the acquisition of the full acquisition of Top Golf, which, you know, it's just absolutely a monster in golf adjacent businesses. If you look at what that's meant for Callaway's bottom line, I mean, they are selling the hell out of Bud Light fajitas. That's, <laughs> hey, that's no golf company sells actually, more Bud Light and fajitas than, uh, than Callaway. That's right? right. And so you look at that, you look at what they've done with is it, I can never remember the iron number. It's five, five iron, iron golf, golf yeah. right? The, yep. the indoor chain that they are now heavily invested yep. in and it's just kind of and that's on top of you know if we're going back a few years now ogo or travis matthew and who jack forget, who can forget jack wolfskin i mean just major sort of golf adjacent acquisitions that you know as we said in the post just diversifying your Diversify, bonds yeah. wu-tang 101. Wu 101 so so i just want to point out two things here and again Callaway is both our golf story of the year and company of the year. And like you said, these are really kind of intertwined, but. Yeah, it's kind of top golf is the, the story. Right. And then Callaway is the brand. There's some overlap there, but Hey, that's just, that's just how we kind of saw it And this year. I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the irony of celebrating a company as the golf story and golf company in, in a way for what they're doing outside of golf equipment. Right. And there, there's something. I don't want to say debatable about that, but somebody say, hey, well, I, I thought this was about golf companies. Well, it is because at, at its core, Callaway is a golf company. I mean, Eli Callaway is not just some random person in name, but I think the critics may suggest where they where they be, you know, on good standing is that, yeah, we're talking about the things that Callaway is doing in some ways to, you know, John Barber uses this phrase in his quarterly earnings reports or whatever to almost kind of equipment proof, a golf equipment company around downturns potentially in the equipment industry. And so that it, I mean, it's different. 
Yeah, it, it is, is, again, diversification and stepping out of that equipment kind of proper, mm -hmm. if you will. And we've seen, you know, this kind of thing has worked to lesser extents. We haven't seen this level of, hey, we're going to, we're going to go out and buy a lot of golf adjacent in some cases. Like, sure. Jack Wolfskin is, is barely golf, if golf at all. Yeah. But if you look, the, the strength of tailor-made for a couple of years there was Adidas. Mm -hmm. There are times where it's, it certainly helps Cobra to have the Puma apparel sure. brand attached to it. So there you see little pockets of this in other places within the golf industry, but this is, this is kind of a, a different approach, kind of a understanding like the, the golf equipment realm is flaky. It does tend to go up and down for a right. lot of companies. There is an ebb and flow sure. to this. And if you can kind of make yourself immune to the tidal waves to a degree, it, it just makes good business. Like said, diversify so your bonds. You can't overlook good. Our tech story of the year is intertwined with our driver of the year, which like you already mentioned, TaylorMade, Stealth, the carbon face, et cetera. Now that we're on the kind of back half of this, it's been almost a year, a little over, uh, or approaching a year, whatever, since we kind of saw it, started messing around with it, had a chance to hit it, prognosticated as to how it might do in the marketplace. What are your thoughts? What What's your big reaction to, to carbon face technology now that the hype has kind of died down? You know, we're kind of past that, that honeymoon period, so to speak. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's, you know, certainly was the driver story of the year because of the tech and, and how that was presented. So again, it's hard to separate the two in this case. I think it, for the most part, lived up to expectations, right? It, it performs, it's fast as anything, perhaps a tick faster, certainly for, for the right segment of golfers here. And it, so the open question is, is what comes next, right? Both for TaylorMade, can they improve on this? Can they show demonstrable improvement with the next generation that we accidentally saw back in, what was that, yep. December? Oops. Then the other piece is, you know, what happens next in the yeah. industry? Do we see others start to dabble in this carbon technology, knowing what TaylorMade took to get there, but also knowing how quickly okay. the golf equipment industry can reverse have engineer you heard, things. I mean, but have you and, heard, I mean, because we've asked people on the record and off the record, hey, w what's in this? Are you guys looking at it? Da, 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 da. And I haven't even gotten in. I, I'm sure they're looking because everybody's always looking. And, and there's, there's curiosity, curiosity. But I have not gotten the sense that any company is actively seeking we're putting a lot of resources towards, hey, here's our carbon technology as well. Like, I, I just haven't gotten that sense. Yeah, and I think it's it's early. And you may be right. I think certainly there are some kicking the tires on it. And you have to evaluate, right? If, if, if it gives me that much, is it really worth the investment into bringing a product to market featuring the technology? There's also a little bit of you don't be, want to be right on the heels of TaylorMade and, and sort of, you almost need to, to a degree, allow TaylorMade to mature the technology so that it's established and, and sort of almost ubiquitous within the marketplace so that everybody's comfortable with it. And it seems right. less like you're, you're following a competitor. So that's, that's one element, but I'm, I'm sure it's being looked at. I just don't know. Um, and that's, that's kind of what makes this so intriguing. I mean, I go back to. I couldn't tell you the year now because I don't remember things, but if you look, you know, it was several years ago when we, we gave the, the tech story or the tech of the year to the 
the goo inside the PXG irons back in Gen 1. And if people were like, this is ridiculous, this isn't going right. to go anywhere. And now, now it, you know, 60, 70% of the market has some sort of. And if they don't, it's a, still a talking is, point. If you have a hollow yeah. cavity type, you know, player's iron, the question is, yeah. did you fill it or not and why or not? So it's, yeah, it becomes hollow versus yeah. goo. So I think, you know, whether it becomes, whether it becomes this thing where it's widely accepted and everybody's doing, you know, something that, that sort of follows that, or it could be a tech that just completely dies on the vine for everybody else. And even to the point where TaylorMade in three years, and TaylorMade, who has told us they will never again make a another titanium right. face driver, may just go, yeah, I mean, something happened, some new alloy, whatever the story would be, right. and it became more beneficial to to go back to titanium. So it's it's open ended for sure, but right now I think it it's definitely the most compelling tech story of and this it's, season. I think it's also compelling to me because of the barriers to entry, and, and I guess what I mean by that is. In order to do, like you said, other companies, they don't want to be seen as right on the heels, you know, following a leader in that same regard, as opposed to like, hey, following market trends or following consumer demand or something else that, you know, seems much more palatable than tailor-made, right? You're not going to be able you to made a red putter, so we're going to make a red putter, right? Like, let's not do that. But we have seen things like that, too, where it is shameless. So like, yeah, so what? But you the know, amount of money want, so that tailor-made to... invested... You know, I, uh, throw the 20 year story away from it. Just if they say, okay, here's what we need to do. It's not like you're just switching a button and saying, let's make it in a different color or put on a different finish. It's a totally different manufacturing process. And it would require any other company to make some pretty large systemic changes to accommodate that type of technology. And if they don't see the value in it or they feel like, hey, you know, with CT limits, et cetera, we can achieve, you know, within, you know, 99.8% of what they can or whatever the number is without investing all this money and taking that risk. Why would they? I don't see why a company would go down that road. And by the same token, I don't see how TaylorMade can reverse course without losing, you know, a shit ton of credibility if they were to do that. I think people would forgive and forget pretty quickly. If, people if still did, people but, still think that I mean, TaylorMade puts out two drivers every year. <laughs> so they don't true. forget that quickly. <laughs> Sometimes three or four, but but I think if you kind of look at the TaylorMade story, right, the the massive weight savings over titanium in, in just right. that face itself, and then how much of it they gave back right. in structure, like that, that number is just going to keep coming down and coming yeah. down. And that's going to give TaylorMade some opportunities to do things with weight that, that nobody yeah. else has right now. And that TaylorMade has never leveraged before. So if they, they finally said, you know what, we're, we are going to go play in this high MOI PXG XF ping uh -huh. max space. They could do that and, and do it credibly and, and in a way that's really And we're going to give you so crazy low opportunities spin and but, crazy high ball speed. And yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's, I think it's some people are shocked when they look on the site and they go through and they see none for different categories. You go, eh, we had, a, we had several categories that, that we said none on. There was nothing that we chose that we wanted to highlight. Um, a couple of those fairways, hybrids, wedges, super game improvement irons and range finders. Why do we just take uh, it? Just 
it's always tough because you you want to name a winner. You'd like to generate some excitement, but we arrive at none for yeah. different reasons. So, you know, timing wise, we hadn't fully tested Fairway Woods yet, so we don't know what that looks like in Most Wanted. I think the the closest I came to a maybe was the the Callaway Rogue Fairway Woods. Some intriguing mm-hmm. tech in there, but I viewed it as, as somewhat unproven. And you know, marketplace there there certainly wasn't a, a buzz with that that was sort of above and beyond anything with any other fairway wood you're not you're not talking to rocket balls for example where 17 years like longer the, yeah. it's undeniable so yeah some interesting stuff a lot of good stuff but like nothing mm-hmm. that was just like yeah you know and, and when we kick it around amongst ourselves it's if none of us are particularly <laughs> right. excited about anything then you know it's sort of it's almost a reflection of uh, or it's almost the answer to the question um, what percentage of the My Golf Spy staff was <laughs> excited none. about the product? So none. None. Yeah, Zero. my confusion, not, not yeah. even confusion, but Amazing. hesitancy yeah. is, like I said, lack of something that made me stop and go, damn, that is cool. You know, like, I just, there, there wasn't anything that popped right to mind in, in that regard. The only <laughs> thing that I could have made an argument for, and this isn't an equipment piece, which is why it didn't fit, but it's just more of a market shift piece, which is... What is a hybrid anyway now? Like, what is it becoming? Because we have small fairway woods that are more hybrid-like, and we have large hybrids, ultimate hybrids, super hybrids, the crazy, ridiculous hybrids that are bordering on the size of fairway woods. And you have that alongside seeing more players at the tour level carrying fairway woods beyond a five wood we've seen seven woods i want to say we've even seen a nine wood and so it's like to me the whole category is still a little bit confusing and it's like are our hybrids gonna kind of just go out of flavor like In where this one it's like where yeah. and it's and in both cases, fairway woods and hybrids, the stories tend to trickle down from the drivers. And this is the case where the Callaway at least got me to scratch my chin a little bit because that's fundamentally different mm-hmm. use of the technology. It's still kind of trickle that down way. jailbreak, but Wings. applied differently. Right. And so that was, that was interesting. But again, we, we just yeah. couldn't quite get there. You can point to in the Cobra stuff. We always like it, but again, it's sort of like, can we, can we make an argument above and beyond yeah. anything else on the market? And so. And then that hybrids. I mean, last year our winner yeah. was big hybrids. We kind of pointed to the, that was kind the Callaway of the trend, and Cobra's this, yeah. super hybrid space. And but in terms of just making it, other than really playing with size, because as you mentioned, you got these big ones and these medium ones. And the Titleist TSI three, for example, is just a little bit mm-hmm. bigger than a driving iron. And so you kind of get you run the gamut there. But in terms of like compelling, mind blowing, hey, this is the next great yeah. thing in hybrid technology. Yeah, I don't see it. No, so, and, and kind of none. the tech space with, you know, range finders. Bushnell's still really good, but it, it's not gaining momentum. It didn't kind of meet that standard. And it's, you know, it's, it's not any better than it was. They, they haven't kind of replaced it with mind blowing technology. I mean, that's, and I mentioned the Bushnell because that's a, seems to be mm-hmm. a perennial most wanted winner these days. Yep. And we're seeing other companies kind of add different features. Connected but again, things. I think you're seeing you know, kind of all jockey for position and advance the category a little bit, but they haven't really crossed a new threshold and like, Hey, here it is. That being said, I've heard rumors of some products that may be out later this year, holiday time, end of this year, beginning of next year in the rangefinder space. 
that might warrant an award next year. We'll see, but nothing right now. With the wedge, how? why not Titleist SM9? I think that's a question some people ask, like, how is that not your wedge of the year or, or equipment, you know, equipment choice? You play Vokey wedges. I played Vokey wedges. I've, I've convinced myself. I, do, I, I beat do. the algorithm, as us. you pointed out, <laughs> you know, like, to get the answers. I could make an argument that maybe new tech of the year could have been the Vokey wedge fitting app, because I think that that has a lot of potential to, to bridge the gap mm-hmm. between indoor and outdoor fittings and the quality you get in the wedge space. But it's potential, like I said, unproven, brand new. And there's a part of me that is, as much as I applaud the Vokey and Titleist teams for developing it, rolling it out, it would be nice if it was brand agnostic. And to a degree, it can be. Because if you're going to go, hey, it recommends this Vokey grind and I want a Callaway, well, this is, when it comes to grind and bounce, this one's pretty close. So, you know, there will be some of that that goes on. So that, that piece of it was interesting. But as far as the wedge itself, like, yeah, I think, I think SM9 is awesome. I think it's a great story, but it's also not last on me that the, the tailor-made milled grind mm-hmm. won our test last year and was super impressive. It's, it's not lost on me that the ping, the ping glide, Correct. they now have a new one, right? With the, yep. the hydrophobic finish is yep. really impressive. And so that's the thing when you, you can make an even kind of unproven still, but the new Callaway mm. jaws, you look right. at that and you're like, mm, that's different. Edel, movable yeah. weight technology in a wedge. As right. you know, I'm not completely sold on it, but it's intriguing. And so you have all of these things that are, when, when you have like five or six maybes, yeah. you kind of end up where nothing so. really rises. And so, you know, rather than present a five-way tie for five-way a choice tie award, for we're just going to go nothing second or whatever. Right. You all win. Yeah. Lots of good stuff. Lots of cool stuff in the wedge space. And it's no surprise to anybody who watches this with any regularity. Mm-hmm. I am definitely a wedge nerd, but... Could yeah. not, which just is totally could not fair. But there. the irons were a different story. Largely, we came to agreements: game improvement, proto concept, players' distance, Mizuno two two five, and players' iron T one hundred. Bite one or two of those off real quick. What What do you think? The proto concept, I think, was interesting just because of the forgiveness of it, and it just our forgiveness and accuracy metrics. It was right there, kind of an unknown, and we're like, yeah, you know what? This is a really impressive iron, and I think. And we had a lot of testers, I think, who, who would have played that. And then you have the piece of, as we mentioned, influence mm-hmm. from other places. Lydia Co. putting them in the bag as well was, was certainly a factor of sort of like this brand that nobody had heard of to in the bag and one of the top LPGA players in the world and a super strong performer and most wanted tester. And they're like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, you uh, can't we like that. Pretty, in that space pretty... to have that type of acceptance and movement. And you look at the backstory. I wrote an article on Proto Concept before from that Japanese perspective of who they are and what they do and the team at Endo, the forging house that they use. And that entire connection, I think, is still lost on some people or maybe not aware of why that's such an important part of the story is huge. Players distance and Mizuno 225. I think that was one of the... That was one where yeah. it was a pretty clear winner in Most Wanted, which there's a little more space than we typically see there. And that's, again, another one where you know, we, we all just love that iron. I typically and you know gravitate towards the goo-filled <laughs> designs, but as a goo-less player's distance hollow iron, yeah, I mean, it's that was just one that checked all the boxes. And, and most impressive for me is over the history of Most Wanted testing, Mizuno irons have largely not 
been mm-hmm. in the distance conversation. I don't think they were the longest this year, but it certainly wasn't a case where we looked short, at them and straight. said, yeah, these are that short narrative for the category. Did not fit. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's going to be, uh, and kind of how we've structured our story moving forward. That, that will be, be a deal breaker. And look, personally, I'm not a big fan of focusing on distance in the iron category, but if you are a player's distance iron and you can't hang for right. the distance part of that conversation, just not, you yeah. shouldn't win most wanted and you won't. So this is a case where Mizuno overcame that distance shortfall that we've seen in the past and just super performed. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we all love it. So yep. easy Title choice. Title T100 in the player's iron space. That was one that I threw in there because part of what I, I felt with that and, you know, we, we had the chance obviously to go out to TPI be fit for those, go through the process, look at it. But that's not what swayed me at all, actually. What swayed me was talking to guys on tour, talking to other people within the, kind of within the industry. And the the sentiment that I took from from all those people is that this is the iron that got them out of muscleback irons. So this is the one that finally whether it was Webb Simpson or some of the corn fairy guys that, that I chatted with or other consumers, people that are really good players going, man, knuckleheads, one of, one of my good buddies, you know, again, plus three, really, really good player could play whatever has a set of T 100 S's loves them. And he's like, there. So first time I finally saw something that, that from a dress, I feel like it looks like a muscle back, but it has just that little extra forgiveness where I, where I need it. And it just seemed, you know, maybe that's been a long time coming. I know one of the best ball strikers on tour historically, Jordan Spieth has always been kind of an AP two guy. And then when AP series morphed into the T hundreds series, he was kind of right there with that. But again, you look at guys, I use the example of like a Webb Simpson, like Webb, I want to say he played like a three hybrid and maybe a four hybrid two or whatever. And then was like five through wedge in muscle back irons. He ditched those for the T100s, and you're seeing more and more stories like that. So Titleist, I think this is a huge, huge iron for them, for that player in that category of players' irons. That is a significant step forward for them. I didn't feel like Mizuno 223 is a phenomenal iron, but that wasn't a huge step forward for them in my estimation. It's awesome. It's great. It is a cavity back player's iron that's really, really good. It's phenomenal, but it wasn't a huge step for them. They've kind of maybe already been there for a while. There's something for cracking the code. And I would say Ping for the longest time didn't really offer a true blade. So most of their guys were in cavity backs anyway. But when you talk about the other companies, I remember this was several years ago and I couldn't tell you, it was Uh kind of during the face slot era to kind of put it in perspective at TaylorMade talking to those guys so pre p series we're going back a while and they talked specifically about dustin johnson how they really felt that he would be better off in a cavity back iron they had certainly hints in some data that Mm -hmm. he would be better off in a cavity back iron and so one of the things they were actively trying to do is design a cavity back iron that their tour players would slide into and stay into and they Mm -hmm. never really able to make that stick and so kind of no, Again, of and, and nobody's 100%. Titleist doesn't have 100% of no. its players no longer playing Blades. That, that's not realistic. But to even kind of make a dent where 
in a, in a space where guys tend to be resistant to, to any type of change. Yeah. That, that was impressive. And that was enough of an argument that I was like, all right, yeah. I'll, I'll buy I want to pick that. off yep, a couple other big categories. Obviously there's other things in there, you know, with, with, with putters and some of the technologies there, but I want to talk about the golf ball and training a place for a minute here, because I think that's where we got, you know, a lot of feedback and a lot of people asking questions as well as the shaft space. And so the golf ball, our editor's pick for a golf ball is a golf ball you can't get. <laughs> so there you go, people. Sorry. Mm. Yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> I really, so, sorry, guys. Yeah, I thought that one out. Why for does you. left dot matter yeah, so it's much? It's a case of right if where nobody you, can you even get it. First, the guys who have tried it absolutely love the performance of the ball. And I'm one of those guys, too, where I liked what I was seeing in, in the flatter trajectory on my irons and actually is. You know, when we did my, my most recent fitting at Titleist, we did yep. we were out there last, what, November, December. That's one of the things I looked at. I was like, do we want to look at left dot? And we went back and forth and we settled on left dash, but certainly there was a lot I liked about dot a lot that these guys who were able to get their hands on the limited quantities liked. And then of course there's the piece of it where I would say it's probably the, the craziest story in the Gulf $200 space a dozen Kirkland, people, I mean, where well, you just, I, I, one of the guys I play with from time to time, really good player. He's, he's probably a plus two or so legitimately can carry the ball 315, 320. Loved the left dot when he couldn't get them. He actually went at Facebook and bought them for like a hundred bucks plus a dozen. You see them on eBay for just ridiculous price tags. So it's like, you know, I, I found an almost two dozen <laughs> in my pile of left dash. I was like. Right. So some mortgage payment right here in this box. So yeah, just kind of that whole thing that came about with that. The question is we, you know, we, we can rightfully assume that come January, you can bank on it. It's going to be Wednesday of the PGA show week, put it on your calendar. Titleist is, is going to release new Pro V1 and Pro V1X. You know, that's coming because it's yep. been two years and that's just how it works. The question is, are we going to see an updated left dash and his left dot going to make it into the lineup? And that, that kind of will they, won't they? And part of that's going to okay, be driven so let's by assume, supply chain. Let's and, assume and that supply chain demand, issues, but, let's assume they get as raw, as much raw material and caught up as we need to. Is there enough market demand? in a place within the lineup for Titleist to do a full production run, if you will, to satisfy as much demand as they feel is out there for left dash and for left dot. Yeah, sure. I think so. Cause again, if you look at the actual market share, Pro V1 yeah, and Pro V1X are the top sellers right? and then you get into, you know, you dr it's quite a drop to, no, no, it's No, I mean within high. their lineup, sorry. So like within Titleist lineup, between the you're talking. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends what else you count. Right? I'm not counting you, Union oh, Green. Yeah, AVX does better. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's tough then. But AVX does better than most right. anything else in a competitor's lineup. For example, with ChromeSoft right. TP5 being the exceptions, probably. And so, if you could get, I think if I think if left out, for example, outsells ChromeSoft X, which you know, not to ding Callaway, this won't come right. as any surprise. It's not a huge market share ball, two and a half, three percent, probably. Haven't checked recently, so I may get a text, and that's fair. But yeah, if you could capture three percent, yeah, I would think that would justify it. It could happen. It's just 
you know, what Titleist is not going to do is right. is not right. make enough. They're not going to make, and yeah, they're not going to make one make fewer Pro V1 so, or Pro V1 X's than they possibly can. Those will, those buckets will, will get filled up. What about, have we ever seen anything like, like we've seen with Ventus over the last three years? I'm talking Fujikura Ventus, the shaft over the last, it's three years old now, right? Which, which in shaft no, world is like. It's more than dog years. It's, like I don't, I don't even know what the equivalent thing would be, but it's like, I, I mean, it's crazy. And once upon a time, that was that was kind of how shafts mm-hmm. worked. These things would kick around forever. Yeah. Go back to UST Pro Force V two, the earliest shaft I can remember that was just kind of had a had a decent long run. But Ventus is absurd, and this is one where it was <laughs> an editor's be, choice yeah. before, and it, it might maybe even twice, but it, it's the kind of thing where the momentum continues to grow, and that, that speaks to how long it takes before it really mm-hmm. works its way in and fitters get comfortable with it. And it can be, sometimes on tour you have guys right. that will drop everything and make a change, but sometimes there is a ramp-up period, and now we're looking at tour reports on Ventus, and this is, this is what really swayed me, is some of mm-hmm. the recent data that's come into my mailbox. So... To be clear, it varies by the field and the event and some guys change. So it's, it's up and down a little bit, but if you're looking at at things right now, it's plus or minus 25% of the field has a Ventus shaft in their driver. So just in the driver, and of course there's, you got fairway woods and hybrids in the mix there, but 25% playing some flavor of Ventus and Yes, yes, to be clear, that is all things Ventus. And while I don't expect you're going to see any of those watered-down, right. tailor-made, non-Velo cores in the mix, we are including and TR all the blacks blue and right blues now. and reds in, in the various weights, which I... And TR blue, it's still astonishing to see that, like, that count now is higher than it was last year. The only shafts I ever get... I, mm-hmm. I get asked about two shafts. It's <laughs> Ventus... And Autoflex. <laughs> and obviously the Autoflex is kind of a unique one. And it's, yeah. you know, if guys hear about it and are a little curious, but it's like Ventus is a big one. And, and I have guys who play Ventus who will tell other guys now that they need a Ventus. Mm-mm. And it's just, I've never seen that in the shaft. It's, taken, so, it's one of those yeah, things where there's it's like crazy. this it's, multiplier effect. You're kind of like a, like I said, an amplification of it where it's one thing to do really, really well, let's say at a retail location or at retail or with club fitters, um, that there, there's a sauce, a mix to, to doing that really well. It's another thing to do really well on tour because that's its own kind of flavor and mix of materials and, and how do you get into players' bags and working with reps and companies and, and it's harder. Uh, there, there's, believe it or not, there's political things that kind of go on behind the scenes and, and stuff like that all the time, right? So to see a shaft get both of those and then sustain it in a way that year two was better than year one. And now I said year three, leveraging into this idea of a family of shafts, not unlike what we saw maybe 10, 12 years ago. I think that's pretty typical. Pick a shaft that has any sort of (laughs) notoriety and it comes in different flavors. But we we don't see this. You can there are multiple Hazard hazardous and hazardous smoke and all the various tenses and you see kind of everybody's got these lineups. What is constant mm-hmm. is the tech, and we just vary the profile a little bit to to fit a wider range of golfers, and we just we don't see anything that is like this 
I used to, I think I used the word juggernaut where it just, just yeah. keeps. So does it stop? I mean, do we, are we bigger. in a year from now? Are we here yeah. talking about updates to it or whatever going, man, I cannot believe this is the fourth year in a row and we're still talking about Ventus or does somebody else come in a graphite design, a Mitsubishi project X, perhaps does somebody else have to come in and, and knock them off their pedestal or what needs to happen to it, I guess, to keep Ventus from. I was making the joke that based on that 25% status, like, God, people would watch a telecast and think that Ventus might be the stock shaft of the PGA Tour. They're obligated to play it in their driver, you know, like, <laughs> like, okay. It's, it's, it's one of your first tee gifts or seventh tee or 13th tee on the live right. tour. I don't know, like wherever you start, they give you one. You never say never because these, it's not like shaft companies are just sitting down and going, right. no, we're just going to recycle the same stuff over and over again. I mean, they're. They're out yep. there doing le legitimate research and development. And maybe, maybe Fuji has a yep. leg up with Enzo and what they can see with that system, but anything is possible. It's certainly, oh gosh, nobody's no. going to roll over and go, well, they no. got us on this. I guess we're done. And we know that tour players are a little bit like us, sometimes a lot like us, some cases even worse than us, where anything that goes wrong or they just want something new in there, there does perhaps come a time where Ventus is mm -hmm. simply too long in the tooth at some point. And so. Do those guys kind of move into a TR because it's the new, yeah. fresh, hot thing, or do they go in another direction? Yeah. That's the unknown, but no, man, I don't, I, I don't it's going to be it interesting. Slowing. What's the just, ride? Right now, um, like I just said, don't. It, you know, probably not too far from TR updates as well. So stay tuned for that. Last one of these I want to talk about. Then I got a couple mailbag questions for you. The stack system we picked for our training aid, the vast majority of training aids that we look and evaluate in, whether they send them to HQ or to us or whatever. One, they tend to be junk. Two, there's no evidence or support that they actually help anybody do anything other than the person selling them make money. The stack system is like the 180 converse, the exact opposite of all of that. It's thorough. It's vetted. Hopefully, we'll have Sasha and or Marty on our podcast here um, and, and, and not super long to talk through a lot of this stuff. But why stack system? What are the one or two things that really jump out to you about that particular product? It's so glaringly obvious that it works. Year one, it won because it was new and it certainly yeah. looked like it worked. And you and I were using it and seeing gains. And I continue. Unfortunately, I, I took the winter off. That's on me. Above and beyond the fact, like, it's just where I live and, and the house that I mm -hmm. live in, very difficult to find the space to do it in the winter. Um, but to, to come back and, hey, pick up right where I left off and now actually start to be gaining speed again. And I picked up quantifiably on you know, basically within the stack system, 10 miles an hour in, in a year yeah. and a half, that's, that's a big number. And then I think what <laughs> kind of sealed it for this year was when Matt Fitzpatrick won the U S <laughs> like Open in his the thank you speech, like when's about. the last time somebody like, like you know, yeah. thanked a training, a, Hey, I just won the U S open and on my list of people <laughs> that think. A lot of people use the orange whip. A lot of people love yeah. the orange whip, yeah. but you've never heard, like, it I couldn't have so won the U.S. Open without the orange whip. Yeah, like, when's like, the uh, first time? Actually, I mean, here he is, just won the most important golf tournament of his life. And he's like, man, this training aid, this thing kicks ass. It's amazing, you know? And it's it's funny and good for Sasho and Marty because they definitely stumbled upon something everybody wants. I tell people, like, Look, the stack is, it's probably the most expensive training aid on the market right now. What was it like 320, mm -hmm. whatever it is. It's, it's no. over $300. Yeah. 
it's functionally useless without something to measure your swing speeds. I mean, it works with Evos and stuff, which guys already have. Does not work with Foresight currently. So I, I mean, I yeah, had to I mean, go you're going to be five hundred bucks plus PRG radar, radars. Those are a hundred bucks. So yeah, four fifty to five hundred. But unless you have the worst fitting driver for you in your bag, and you go out and get fit for something else. There's nothing right. that is going to give you distance, at least nothing we've seen that's going to give you distance right. faster than the stack because it is an incremental thing. And it translates wrap, throughout your bag. Like you said, it's, it, there's a, a universal impact. And, and the other thing beyond the Matt Fitzpatrick piece that kind of jumped out to me is, and some of this is talking with Sasha and Marty too, the things that they're already talking about and improvements that they've already made where they're developing new modules. They're taking all of this data. They're seeing it as users are uploading it and figuring out, okay, how can we make our, our protocols better, more efficient? What do we need to add? What do we need to change? Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of the app because there is that app and it's, Hey, we're going to, we learned this, or we're going to add a new module mm -hmm. or we're going to add some new feature to the app that, yep. that makes the stack fundamentally better. It's cool. And yeah. And. 12 years of my golf. So I've never seen a training aid that, that I legitimately believe yeah. will do what it says it, it does for every golfer who tries it. Now the right. fine print in there right. is you have to use it. You're not going to gain distance by buying a stack and sticking it in the corner. You've yep. got to go and, and run the protocols every couple You've of days. It's got to be called the stack system, not it. the slack system. But, it's your time. What time is it, Tony? Mailbag. Here we go. You're doing mailbag. All right. Why don't we see more brand agnostic yeah. ball fittings? We tell people get fit all the time. Go get fit, get fit, get fit. And there's places to get brand agnostic fittings for everything in your bag, except for the one thing that you use on every single shot. Why is that? I know some places do it and it's probably not terrible, terrible, but I think if you're being honest. And, and real about things, the biggest obstacle to a ball fitting is the fact that yeah. so many fittings are, are done indoors and it is very difficult to do anything other. I think you can probably do partial shots, you know, 50 yarders, 15 yarders, whatever it is indoors and get good data there. But man, once you're, once you're getting into full swings and mm -hmm. where the aerodynamics of that cover really it. matter, indoors yeah. is frankly, it's almost nonsense. And that that's just the reality. Like those dimples, I keep talking about this, they matter. They influence the height of the ball, how far down range it peaks, how it comes down. You can see initial launch info indoors. And then after that, you really don't know because mm -hmm. you're just sort of applying a normalization algorithm so that all golf yep. balls after that initial window do the same thing. And that's not how they perform outdoors. And if you kind of don't know that, I think it's, it's hard to fit a golf ball. And then kind of the next piece of it is, well, why don't you see more outdoor fittings? Well, I got to have this big inventory yep. of golf balls to try. And then I got to go chase them and sort them. And if you're a Titleist, mm -hmm. yeah, I can do that because it's just my golf balls. That's cool. And Bridgestone yep. can do that to a degree because hey, it's all their golf balls. But if you're a retailer, even yeah. with an outdoor space, you've got to maintain an inv inventory. You've got to go play, go fetch, go sort. That inventory wears out over time, probably reasonably quickly, actually. How far are we from being just able not to do like, Let's say that, that right. we talk a lot about good, better, best. And I think you mentioned that in, in your article last week too around virtual fittings. And yeah, ideal scenario would be 
have an outdoor facility. So you got TrackMan and Foresight, but at least TrackMan for sure if we're doing a ball fitting because we want to see the entire flight of the ball. We have the the swath of balls that are available at retail from all the major manufacturers, and I'm able to work with a professional fitter and hit all these different balls outside different clubs, get all the data that I need. That's the best. That would be phenomenal. What would a good situation look like and what would a better situation look like right now for somebody if their biggest piece is, hey, I get the titles does this. I get the TaylorMade does this. I get the Bridgestone. That's totally fine. But I want to compare the balls. I don't want to do a TaylorMade fitting because I'm going to end up with a TaylorMade ball. I don't want to do a titles fitting because then I don't know how close this other ball or how good it might be as compared to this other one. I want to know. I want to see brand agnostic opportunities. Is there anything right now for people? Ping's got Balnamic which is intriguing because they at least have whatever their aerodynamic modeling and, and kind of predictive right. algorithms do. That's brand. I, I you're not doing you're, anything. Yeah. You're not actually hitting balls, which is <laughs> right. very clearly a little bit of a liability in a ball fitting, but that's, I mean, that's intriguing. That's interesting. I think it's inarguably better than nothing hearing from some people that does tend to recommend some balls more than others. And, and, you know, whether that's a, a glitch in the machine yep. or, or just, Hey, this is a ball that fits a lot yep. of people really well. It's kind of an unknown, the best case scenario for me and time and expense make it not worth doing. I would assume I would look at TrackMan as being the most likely where somebody had the capability to, to uh -huh. model all of the golf balls. We're going to develop a reliable aerodynamic model. And I use that word reliable because that's a case of what, what Titleist sees as reliable and accurate sure. in an aerodynamic model may be very different than what Callaway sees as reliable and accurate and Bridgestone yeah. certainly would have some thoughts and you see these permutations, but at least if it's done by a presumably unbiased neutral third party and plugged into yeah. the, and it could be done with foresight at that point too, where it's, Hey, like we, we know what these actually do because foresight has the capability with the, some of their other products to measure the full mm -hmm. flight of the golf ball in a way that, that arguably even TrackMan doesn't. And if you could develop again, models for all of these golf balls so that in any fitting environment, you're all right, you know, what, what ball am I hitting? Let me mm -hmm. apply the aerodynamic model to the data you based the on end. your, yeah. Then yeah, this is yeah. what we, we think it will do based on the model we have for this ball. And this is, this is what a pro V1 X will do. This is what a Chrome yep. soft X will do. This is what a tour B X will do based on the aerodynamic models that, that we collected and developed yeah that would be awesome but yeah. like i said man time and expense yeah, just so, you know thoughts yeah. man lots of stuff lots of stuff going on there we're gonna have more equipment to talk about next week i can almost guarantee that if you have other topics ideas things that you want tony and i to to get into we got some guests oh yeah we got some good some guests that are guests uh, back here lined quickly, up so, so it's more than just stay us tuned. find us on the interweb find us on social golf spy t golf spy c and uh, until then we'll see you next time we out